grit and resilience is continuing to do the right things the right way for the right reasons no matter the cost and sometimes doing the right things the right way for the right reasons it costs a lot but in the long run it's the best option because for the people who took the mark and they worship the image they got to buy and sell for a little bit and now they got painful sores all over their bodies they're under the wrath and the judgment of god and so it was a terrible decision thinking in the long term Every day comes with decisions to make, some easy, some not. And with each of those decisions, you very likely have the chance to follow what Jesus wants or to choose your own way. Today, Pastor Daniel will share an example of a group of people who choose an easier path. They choose the mark of the beast. While it comes with great short-term effects, the long-term consequences are painful to say the least. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Revelation, chapter 15, as he continues his message, The Bold Judgments. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever, and the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Now, you might, if you don't know the Old Testament, you might not catch all the references here, but really what you have is if you read the book of Exodus, most people get hung up because by the time you get to the end of the book of Exodus, you find first God gives Moses like all the architectural schematics for the tabernacle, which became the temple. Like, down to, like, this big, this is what I want it to be made of. And then you get all these chapters of them actually building it to spec. Doing exactly what they were supposed to do. And all the time when people read it, they're like, why are we reading this? By the time you get into the New Testament, the Apostle Paul and the writer to the Hebrews tells us that really what God gave to them is almost a copy of what's in the heavenlies. So what you find is after these seven angels come on out of the temple, then there is this, they're given these seven bowls of the wrath of God, and they're coming out in white robes with their chest girded with a golden band, which was the way the priests were dressed, right? And then all of a sudden, the tabernacle, in the heavenly tabernacle fills with smoke. And if you remember, remember when Solomon dedicated the temple? What happened? The visible presence of God, what they call the Shekinah glory, fell on the temple. There was smoke everywhere. And really what you have is, with the ushering in of these last judgments now, the heavenly tabernacle is filled with smoke. It's filled with the visible presence of the glory of God. Remember I said we want to be filled with praise and what? And glory. Of course, we know that Jesus is God's temple. Right? And guess what, you know? you are the temple of God as well. And so really what this is reminding us is that we want our lives to be filled with we're praising God because of his deliverance. But your life should be an example of the visible presence of the glory of God. And this is why, my friends, this is why who we are matters. How we live matters. 
Because people should see there is something about that person in their life. There is this gloriousness of what it means to be in Christ. I always think, remember, uh, the Apostle Paul talks, remember how Moses, he'd come out of the tabernacle and he would cover his face because his face was shiny? Like he had the light of Christ. But really what's, but what's amazing is, is the Apostle Paul makes the point that the reason Moses covered his face is because the glory was diminishing. But really what he's saying is that for the child of God who knows Jesus, that glory should never diminish because Jesus dwells within us. What would it look like for you to say, Lord, I want my life to be a place that's filled with your glory, my countenance, who I am, how I move through the world. See, what we're learning here is the heavenly tabernacle is filled with the glory of God. And John sees it. And no one's allowed to go in until this is all done. Now, as we move on in now to Revelation 16, see, we're we're making pretty good ground here, right? We're on our journey together, our little road trip I just want to say right now, everyone on staff did not think I'd make it into Revelation 16. So everyone on staff, (laughs) can you give our staff a round of applause? They had to put up with me all the time. I had some of our pastors were coming up there giving me a hard time before the service. Like, hey, we do want to get lunch at some point before dinner today, Pastor Daniel. They didn't think we're getting there. I'm here. All right. Let's slow down and relax. Let's go into the right lane. (laughs) <laughs> verse, I'm just kidding. Chapter 16, verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. Verse 2. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Verse 3, then the second angel poured out the bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man, and every living creature of the sea died. Verse 4, then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of waters, and they became blood. And then I heard an angel of the waters saying, you are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things, for they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets. And you have given them blood to drink, for it is their due. And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Verse 8. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire, and men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom became full of darkness and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and they did not repent of their deeds. Now, the only thing I can really say about this is that the bold judgments are awful. Like, this is the end of it. This is the climax of the wrath and the judgment of God. And so it's these seven bowl judgments. And literally, it starts by saying, go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. And then it begins. So the first bowl, they pour out the bowl upon the earth. And it says, a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men. So really what you have here is you have these painful, these injurious, harmful sores come upon people. And now, of course, this is reminiscent of the sixth plague in Exodus. 
So remember I talked about this, that in a lot of ways, the plagues of the last days, the judgment of the last days, there's a mirror oftentimes to the way God judged Pharaoh and Egypt. And you can read about this in Exodus chapter 9, verses 8 to 12, which is the sixth plague of Egypt. Now, I didn't need to make the point because, you know, people all the time get, you know, all bent out of shape over a gender-inclusive language. When it says, pour it on men, it means men and women too. So one time, nobody complained about gender-inclusive language in the Bible. <laughs> It's like, oh man, the guys got it good, you know? But no, it's like, sorry, it's the people. The people get this thing, okay? You see how I just did that? I just did that for fun. Sorry. (laughs) But what's amazing is, is these sores only come upon those who had the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. Now, don't miss that. Remember I told you, like we saw that, that there was the people who received the mark, right? And they worshiped the image and there were those who did not and they were sealed by God. But what's amazing is, is they got the mark of the beast, and then you get the consequences of that decision. And you have to realize, listen, people all the time say, you know, what's really hard is, like, there's a consequence to following Jesus. You're right. There's also a consequence to not following Jesus. And we have to realize that every decision you make, there are consequences that come from it. Not all of them are wonderful. Things are hard. And on this side of heaven, everything is imperfect. So you're always making choice. I was just talking to a couple, a couple weeks ago. And, you know, a young couple, and they're falling in love. And they're like, man, you know, one of them was like, hey, it's like it's scary, like, to make that decision. I'm like, yeah, it is. It is scary. It's a step of faith to get married. You know, like, you fall in love. You don't know how it's going to work out. You don't know what's going to happen in the future. But what's amazing is, is that if you choose to get married, then that's one set of things, and there's outcomes to that. And if you choose not to, then there's other things that go on. Right? And you, there's a million movies about the people who, you know, should have gotten married and they didn't, you know, and oh, we, we missed the boat and then they wish from their whole life wishing and then the movies, they always meet them again later and they fall in love and it's happily ever after until the movie when they don't like each other anymore and then they refine their love. You know how movies work. Like they find you the falling in love journey and then after they, they don't love each other and they fall back in love again. That's how it all works in, in, in the movies. But you have to realize that you might feel like it's hard to follow Jesus in this day and age. But I'm here to tell you it's way harder not to follow Jesus in this day and age. Because the benefits of knowing God and walking with him, the benefits of knowing that your God is a good God changes everything and the fact that he is changing you as you go. So I I say that because I think there are some people now, there's a lot of pressure today. I remember when I came to know Jesus, I love my friends to death. They're like, what are you doing? Like, it's like, we we just didn't know any Christians. And so it was like, "What, what are you doing? Like, this is crazy. Don't do that. But I look back on now, I'm so grateful that I didn't listen to my friends and I just followed Jesus. And did things change? Yes. Was it always easy? No. Do I look back on it and wish I'd made a different decision? Definitely not. And I believe that there's some of you right now, God is doing a work. He's been drawing you in. But there's that part of you right now that you're like, man, I don't know. Like, like things are going to change. I'm here to tell you, you want things to change. And I'm here to tell you that if you follow Jesus, there are outcomes that come to that, but they're good outcomes. Because here it's like you find like for the people who got the mark, they were able to buy and sell. But now when the first bowl gets poured out, that mark's a lousy thing. Now, just a reminder, this is not about the COVID vaccine. (laughs) Can I get an amen? amen? Now, I know none of you in here think that this is about the mark of the beast, but there are people who used to go here who think this is about the mark of the beast. It's not what this is about, right? This is... It's coming out of a golden bowl from heaven, people. Come on. Like, think about it. I need to say that, though, because some people come up with all these things. Like, oh, 
So I shouldn't have gone there. I, now I feel bad. Actually, I don't really. I'm sorry. I want to feel bad. But what you realize is for the people who took the mark, it got easier, but now it's way worse. Does that make sense? And so one of the things that I like to tell people, and I wrote about it in my book, You're Going to Make It, that really biblical grit and resilience is continuing to do the right things the right way for the right reasons, no matter the cost. And sometimes doing the right things the right way for the right reasons, it costs a lot. But in the long run, it's the best option. Because for the people who took the mark and they worshiped the image, they got to buy and sell for a little bit. And now they got painful sores all over their bodies. They're under the wrath and the judgment of God. And so it was a terrible decision thinking in the long term. Now, not only do you have that, by the time you get to the second bowl, it says, then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it became blood as of a dead man and every living creature in the sea died. And so now you have all of the salt water is now turned into blood and not just any blood, but it's literally blood of a dead man. So it's still or stagnant blood. So, you know, one of the things when liquid is moving, it's ways different than when it's stagnant and still. And so of course, all of the living creatures in the sea ultimately die. Now, this is reminiscent of what began in the second trumpet of Revelation chapter 8, and then also the first plague of the book of Exodus, where right away the salt waters became blood, and everything within it dies, right? So again, now we're seeing the fulfillment of all that has going on. Now judgment is coming. You get to the third bowl, and now instead of it being the salt waters, now it's the spring waters. It's the fresh water, Right Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. Now, again, we saw this in the third trumpet judgment, Revelation 8, 10, and 11. And again, we already talked about the first plague in the Exodus account, Exodus 7. Now, you think about this. You have People have sores. Anyone who's got the marks got sores. And now there's literally no clean water. Right, All the animals of the sea are gone. Now listen, if you're environmentally conscious, and I think you should be, because don't ever miss the fact, environmentalism is not a political issue, it's a biblical issue. Go back and read the creation account. God gave his creation to Adam to steward it. This is why I always struggle with American politics, because people think politically before they think biblically. If you're a Christian, you're biblical first. Your politics follows on from that, right? Read the creation account. Adam gives an account for the way he stewards God's creation, which God's creation is full of his glory, shows his eternal power and godliness. So as Christians, we should care about the environment, not as a political issue, but as an act of stewardship because we worship the creator God. Amen? So if you're environmentally conscious, you should want to believe in Jesus because by not believing in Jesus, ultimately everything in all the waters is going to get turned to blood and everything's going to die. So the extinction event has everything to do with not believing in Jesus. Now, we shouldn't pollute the environment and all that stuff. That's a big, much different discussion, right? Biblical ethics on these things. But the reality is, is if you care about the environment, believing in Jesus is the best thing that you can do. Because those who don't believe in Jesus are actually the precursors. This is why this happens. And in the midst of all this, all the waters are blood, everything is dying, and then there's a praise break in the middle of this. Doesn't that strike anybody as strange? Like God's pouring out judgment. There's this praise break. And it says, and I heard the angel of the water saying, you are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was, verse five, and who is to be, because you have judged these things, for they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. Wow. 
this angel of the waters literally says, God, you are righteous in doing this. Why? Because they martyred the people of God, spilled their blood, and now you're giving them their just due. Wow. See, now, here's what I want you to take away from that, my friends. And I know that this can be a little bit challenging, but you have to realize that as it relates to God's justice and God's judgments, we struggle with it because we actually think that we are just and righteous. But I'm here to tell you, the Bible tells us, is there any one of us who is righteous? No. It literally says, there are none who are righteous, no, not one. In case some of us are like, well, maybe I'm kind of all right. Now listen, so what we realize is that the way we judge things is faulty. But God, who is righteous and holy, the way he judges things is right. And in heaven, we'll realize, oh, Lord, that's why that had to be that way. And that's one of the things that I do. People all the time say, Daniel, what do you do with this part of the Bible? And you read these things, you're like, man, it's hard. I'm like, what I realize is that God is righteous and I am not. God is holy and I am not. At best, I am righteous and holy because I put my faith and trust in Jesus. And he has shared his holiness and righteousness with me. But not for one second do I think that I think everything with the mind of Christ. And I understand exactly what God is doing. So I realize that when I get to heaven... I'm going to be like, God knew exactly what he was doing. His judgments are perfect. And then what I also realize is that the way I would have judged things would have been totally wrong. Does that make sense? So God is praised for his justice in what he's doing. And that's funny. And verse 7, and another angel from the altar saying, even so, Lord, O God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. So out of the mouth of two or three heavenly witnesses, all things are established. So God is just. Now you get to the fourth bowl. Look what happens. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, verse 8, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. So really what you have now, now this is men being hurt with fire. This is reminiscent of the sixth trumpet judgment. We saw that in Revelation 9, 17. But really what you have is now all of a sudden, you know, the bowl is poured on the sun. So whether it's something with our ozone layer where now all of a sudden the heat of the sun, whether it hits us differently and now we're being burned by the sun, right? What you realize is that this is a time of great struggle. And what you have is that people are now being hurt by the very thing that warms and keeps our earth safe, the sun. But what's interesting is their response, because in verse 9, what you find is they were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has power of these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. Now, you see what's going on here. As always in the scripture, when things happen, God wants us to turn from the way we're going and turn back to God, right? And praise him for what he's done. But what happens oftentimes is when we're hard-hearted, Things are going on, and it's showing us, I need to, like, this is going bad. I need to turn back to the Lord. But instead of doing that, we get stiff-necked, and we keep running, and we start blaspheming God. This is a normal human response that is the height of folly. I say this because I think there's no doubt in a church like Crossroads, people online, in the house, in all different places, like, nobody asked you what you were doing last night or last week, but I'm pretty sure that there's a number of you right now you are making some really horrible decisions and you know it. And you're starting to get, you're starting to get, you're starting to get in trouble for it. And what God wants you to do is he wants you to repent and turn to him. And don't be like, no, no, I'm going to do it my way. Because if you keep going down the road you're going, it's going to land in a bad spot. It's going to land in a spot that you would have wished that you had turned earlier. And I just say that as a warning because God is a loving God and he will continue to try and turn 
get our attention and turn us back until the point when he says, they're just going to keep going. It doesn't matter. And then he just gives you over. Then he stops that pursuit. Oftentimes, God's judgment, he gives you exactly what you want. You just don't realize how poor of a decision it is. So if that's you and you're like, if you're like, oh, that's me right now, your job is at the end of the service when we give an opportunity to put your faith and trust in Jesus or recommit your life, your job is to come down. And whatever it is that you're doing, you know you're not supposed to be doing, you know it's not God's will, you know God has something better, and you know that it's all starting to come out and that it's going bad, there's going to be a harvest that's going to be bad for you. Your job is to repent and turn away from that and stop that right now. You cut that thing off. You cut it off. That's the only way to deal with it. Because you wonder for these folks who are getting burned by fire, what would have happened had they not blasphemed God, but they repented and said, God, forgive us. But that's not the story that we get here. Then, of course, by the time you get to the, the fifth bowl, the fifth angel, verse 10, poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. So the fifth bowl is darkness that can be felt. It's so painful that they literally are gnawing off their tongues. That's how horrendous this is. Now, of course, this idea of, you know, the darkness, we saw this, the fifth trumpet judgment, Revelation 9-2, darkness that can be felt, that's the ninth plague of exodus before the death of the firstborn. So all this ties in here together. But again, the response of the folks are not to turn to God. The response is to continue to blaspheme God. And even though there's sores, there's scorched down there, there's pain that can be felt, all this stuff, but they're not repenting of what they're doing. They're just continuing down the road. Now, really what we find, we have the sixth and seventh bowl. And really what we're going to see is that, and really the principle of this is you need to make the final preparations because the sixth and the seventh bowl is actually the final preparation for the return of Jesus. So look at what it says in verse 12. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and his water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon and the mouth of the beast and the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame and they gather them together at a place called in Hebrew Armageddon. So what's interesting is the sixth angel pours out his bowl and really what it does is it dries up the river Euphrates, which of course you find in the book of Genesis. It's one of the rivers coming out of the Garden of Eden, right? And so, and really the idea is it's the preparation because it dries up this river so now that the army of the kings of the east can make their way to this final battle. Jesus is real. How sad is that? The people who are experiencing these horrendous results of the bold judgments are still not turning to Jesus. They have the chance to do so, and they're not taking it. And all of this is in preparation for a final battle, the end of the end times. Pastor Daniel's message, though, wasn't one of despair. There's hope right now. Everyone can learn of what's to come and avoid it by choosing life in Christ today. Hey, everybody. 
Pastor Daniel here, lead pastor of Crossroads Community Church in Vancouver, Washington. We would love to connect with you in person. We have services on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you are not able to join us in person, connect with us online at live.crossroadschurch.net or find us on Facebook at Go, the number two, and Crossroads. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com, click on the stations option in the main menu, and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio and Pastor Daniel reminds you of God's faithfulness and really our lack of it. We could easily be loyal for a time to a football team or a friend or even to God. But think about it. Can you match God's perfect dependability? He's always there, always has been, and always will be forever and ever. Amen. And you know what? He's going to be faithful even when you aren't. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series, A Year of Revelation. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.